Welcome to the Fort Hill Community Church Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning. Welcome. Thank you again for joining us today here at Fort Hill, where we reflect and celebrate on what has just been read. We just read the whole story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. If you've never read the whole story for yourself, now you have. Okay, now you can say you have. It's very important. But rather than go through the whole story, instead today I want to focus on just one small detail in that story that I think symbolizes the whole thing. And that's something I think we see a lot. It's often small details in life that tell the biggest stories. Let me give a for instance. Uh, Whenever my wife's grandfather passed away, Papa Morton, uh, this was a larger-than-life guy. He was a Texan. He was a big guy, but everything bigger in Texas, right? So that was kind of like his life story, very successful guy. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet him. Uh, Hannah said that whenever she got a boyfriend, he called her boyfriend's hairy legs, that she got a hairy leg. So I was her forever hairy leg, I guess, if you want to call if you want to call me that. And so I got to meet him. My, my kids got to meet him, except for our newest-born, Bryn, there. And whenever he passed away, she was given his suspenders. And so she has his suspenders tucked away um, because he wore suspenders all the time, right? Just a small detail of his life, what he wore, suspenders, um, but it speaks to who he is, right? And so you couldn't give Hannah the world. She would not give you his suspenders because it represents him It represents his story, and I'm sure you also have cherished items that represent a family member or friend or someone close to you. The small detail that we're going to look at today in this big story is the crown of thorns. The crown of thorns. You might have guessed that I'm a big fan of the crown of thorns, especially since it's the logo of our church. Uh, We chose it, or I chose it, as the logo of our church, not because I think it looks cool, although I do think it looks cool, but because I believe it tells the Easter story. The crown of thorns tells us the Easter story, the fullness of the Easter story. So today we're going to break down the crown of thorns into its two parts. We're going to see the crown of a king on one hand, and then we're going to see the thorns of a man of sorrows On the other hand, two totally separate ideas, thorns and crowns, and we're going to see how in Jesus he harmonizes those two polar opposites in a way that tell us the Easter story. And so first, we are going to start with the thorns, and they are thorns for a man of sorrows. We just sang that song, Man of Sorrows, and I mentioned that there's a prophecy of Jesus that comes from Isaiah 53 in which he is called a man of sorrows. This prophecy is one of the clearest expressions or clearest pointers to Jesus in the Old Testament. This is the prophet Isaiah writing hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus arrives on the scene. And this is what he has to say in Isaiah 53 verse 3. It says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
It's interesting to think that this is the designation that Isaiah the prophet gives for the greatest man who ever lived. Jesus, this all-powerful, almighty Son of God, performing miracles, telling the blind to see, telling the lame to walk, casting out demons. He says at the very end of Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth I have, but as a man he was well acquainted with grief and sorrow. He knew rejection. Jesus was rejected by his own family members. There's a part in Mark that says that even his own mom didn't believe him. Which is really strange, given that, you know, she was the Virgin Mary. I'm not really sure what happened there. He was rejected by his own hometown. His own neighbors in Luke chapter 4 try to kill him whenever he reads from Isaiah and says that these prophecies have been fulfilled in your hearing. The people that he went to school with, his neighbors try to run him off a cliff. It didn't work, it didn't happen, but he knew rejection. Jesus knew betrayal. He was betrayed by Judas, one of his twelve closest disciples. He knew denial. He was denied by his closest of all disciples. He was denied by Peter. He knew shame. He knew mockery. He knew sorrow. And we see that shame, mockery, and sorrow fully expressed here in this little passage of the crown of thorns. This is what it says, Matthew 27, verses 27 to 31, just to remind you. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. They gathered the whole battalion, that's 600 Roman soldiers, they gathered before Jesus. They stripped him, they put a scarlet robe on him, they twisted together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, they put a reed in his hand, they kneeled before him, mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him, they took the reed, they hit him, and when they had mocked him, they stripped him over the robe, they put his clothes on him, and led him to be crucified. They led him to be crucified. Here we see this prophecy of Isaiah come into even sharper focus. The Roman soldiers were known to play games with their victims before crucifying them. With Jesus, the game that they played with him was a game of dress-up but only to mock him. They dressed him up as a king to mock him. It says in verse 26 that Jesus was scourged. That he, another word for scourged is he was flogged. You might read that and think that he was whipped, but that's not what scourging is. That's not what flogging is. If you were scourged by the Romans, it means that they got whips and put bits of bone and chunks of metal in the whips so that whenever they whipped you, it would find something to catch on and then lacerate your back. Often, people that were flogged and scourged couldn't even make it to the cross to be crucified because they died before they made it there. That's why we read in the Gospel accounts that Jesus needed someone to help him carry his cross. So Jesus has just been flogged, he's bleeding out, and they decide to play a game with him, to mock him, to say to him, some king are you, if you're such an amazing king, then why are you about to die in our own hands. They dress him in a royal robe. They give him a scepter. They kneel before him as king of the Jews. And then finally they crown him by placing a crown of thorns upon his head. And yet, unbeknownst to themselves, they are showing exactly what Jesus was about to accomplish on the cross, the cross on which they would crucify him. And we see that. We see that picture 
in the thorns. In the thorns. In the Bible, thorns are a symbol of God's curse. Okay? If you know the story of Adam and Eve, the story of creation, that God created all things, in the beginning, God create, said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he creates the stars and the moon and the sky. He creates everything. And then his final crowning achievement is man. He creates Adam. And then shortly after Adam, he creates Eve. And he creates Adam and Eve to be in relationship with him in the Garden of Eden in paradise. And that's just the first two chapters of the Bible. Things are pretty good. Adam has all the food he can eat. He gets to name animals, right? He gets to name dogs and cats and squirrels and all that good stuff. He has a beautiful wife. He has a good. He's in relationship with God there. The garden is plentiful. Life is good. But then we get to Genesis 3 and everything falls apart. Adam and Eve rebel against God. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told them not to do that. They spurn God's word. Sin enters the world. Their relationship with God is severed at that point. And then do you know what we see whenever that happens? We see thorns. This is what it says in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 17. And God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. Let me just stop there, okay? Um, fellas, 99% of the time, listen to your wife's voice. If she tells you to do something, there is that 1%, okay? I just want to lay that out there. Um, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life, verse 18. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So what God's saying, life is not going to be easy anymore. Life's going to be difficult. Before you just looked at the ground and strawberries and apples and you know all this good stuff is coming up. Now that's not going to be the case. You shall eat of it from the sweat of your brow. Thorns and thistles will come, a reminder of the sin that is entered. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This, uh, this garden, this paradise, this Eden has been corrupted by sin, and now we see destruction, we see burden, we see sweat, and now to the ground we are taken, to the ground we return, we see death. We see death. The abundance of Eden is gone. The world is wrecked. And it wasn't just Adam that has to deal with thorns. It's all of us. We all have to deal with thorns. And I'm not talking about thorns in your garden. We have an expression, a thorn in our side. If someone is a thorn in your side, then they are a hindrance to you. Then they are a bother to you. I am often a thorn in my wife's side. I, I will say that. She's a good, she's a good sport, though. Um, recently, we had a massive thorn on our side. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to change out a shower handle before in a bathroom. It's not as easy as you think it would be, okay? Massive. That was like two 8 p.m. runs to Home Depot, okay? Not as easy as you think it would be. So we have little annoyances in our life, but as human people, we have a massive thorn in our side, and that thorn is the thorn of sin and death. 
sin and death. That's what Genesis 3 recounts to us, that this world is not the way it ought to be. That God did not create you or me or anything in this world to die. That's not why he created you or me or anyone. He didn't create you or me or anyone to suffer. That whenever we listen to the news, we see the fallout of Genesis 3. I mean, just be honest. What inundates us whenever we watch TV? What are we reading about? What are we seeing in this world? And then if you ever ask the question, where does that come from? Is this how it's supposed to be? Are we supposed to see this? He created you so that you could know life, you can know joy, abundance, peace. It all flows out of a relationship with Him. If there is a Creator God, then everything that you need in life comes from a relationship with Him, if He is truly God. And yet, what do we see? We see thorns. We see thorns. Thorns that entangle us. Thorns that trip us up. Thorns that take our eyes off of our Creator. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13, it's known as the parable of the sower, that there was a farmer that goes out, he sows seed liberally throughout his land there. Some seed falls amongst the thorns, and it doesn't produce a harvest. Why? Because the thorns choke it out. It can't. And then Jesus gives us the interpretation in Matthew 13, 22. The seed is the word of God. Those with God's word go out. They spread the word of God, but as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears God's word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. That God is speaking to you right now, but you don't hear him because you have other more important things going on. Whether it be money, Success, it could even be your family. It could even be good things that you think or that seem to be greater than the greatest one ever, which would have to be God by definition. You can't hear Him because you got other things going on. If only we had a way to deal with the thorns, right? If only we had come, one who could come and do away with the thorns, do away with the sin, come and do away with the death, to come and deal with our greatest problem, the separation that we've experienced from our God. And then we read this in Matthew 27, 29. It says, And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on Jesus' head. Jesus came to take away your thorns, to take away your sin, to die your death, right? To reverse the curse of Eden. And you think about these Roman soldiers, they had no idea what they were doing. But God took their shaming and took their mocking and turned it into a symbolic act showing what Jesus was about to do on the cross, where his body, on his body, the sins of the world were laid. The curse of the thorn was dealt with once and for all. The thorns put on us on the cross are now taken by Jesus. He took my thorns and he gave me paradise. Continuing Isaiah 53, it says this in verses 5 and 6, that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our 
iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Here's the deal, guys. At the end of the day, somebody has to deal with your thorns. It's either yourself or it's Jesus. And if you deal with yourself, you're just going to get cut. You're just going to get scraped up. You don't have gloves thick enough to deal with your thorns. But there was someone, it says in Isaiah, who was pierced on your behalf, who was wounded on your behalf, who was crushed on your behalf. And that someone is Jesus. This is God's word coming to you today. The Bible tells us, the cross tells us that God loves you, that he has come to deal with your biggest issue, to restore you to himself through the atoning death of his son. But will you listen? Will you hear this? Or will the words too be choked out by your own thorns? Jesus was a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief, but it was a grief that he bore gladly so that you would know joy. This man of sorrows has come to deal with your thorns. But as we'll see now, he's not just a man of sorrows. We see that on the cross. He's not just that, though, because that wasn't the end of the story. But in that crown of thorns, we also see him as a king of kings. There were thorns for a man of sorrows, but now a crown for a king of kings. The other day, my family uh, went to Burger King. It was one of those situations where Abram had like a late, late evening type of deal. It was, a, it was a choir concert, okay? And parents, you know the situation where there's something that happens and it throws off your dinner routine and you don't want to cook, right? And you're going to have to eat at like 8 o'clock at night. So let's just stop by Burger King and pick something up. And so we did that. And one thing that you can get at Burger King, if you have kids, I guess even if you don't have kids, they will give you a um, cardboard crown, right? Cardboard crown. And so, you know, that's happened to our kids a few times. They get a cardboard crown, and, you know, it's just it's a silly little thing. It's just a marketing thing. But Burger King wants to say that they are the king of burgers, right? They are the best of all the fast food places in all the land. Burger King reigns supreme. Now, if you look at their market share, that's not really the case. They're kind of way far down the list there, but, you know, it, who's counting? That's what the crown represents, that they reign supreme. Look at what these Roman soldiers just did. They don't realize it yet, but they just crowned Jesus as king. They meant it for mocking. God meant it for glory. They just hailed Jesus as king of the Jews. They even wrote a sign and put it above his head whenever he's exalted high and lifted up above all other people on the cross. They think it's funny, but then this happens. Matthew 28, starting in verse 1, says this. Now after the Sabbath, after Jesus has been crucified on Friday, they rest on Saturday, and now the first day of the week, Sunday, toward dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and then the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. The angel sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes was as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
Who's laughing now, right? Who's laughing now? And they, they, they even see Jesus. They saw the angel that was a messenger of Jesus. They were scared of his, like, gopher person, right? Right? And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said, comes to the place where he lay. Jesus is resurrected. The tomb is empty. I said this before in my prayer, that Jesus said that if these people do not uh, worship me or cry out for me, even the stones would roll out. There is no stone that screams as loudly as the stone that was rolled away from the empty tomb that screams out, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is king. Jesus is sovereign. That not only could the Roman guards not keep him down, but even death, the guy that takes everybody out, right? Death, the guy that visits everyone's door, even that guy couldn't keep Jesus down. He's a king. He's the greatest king. He's the king of kings. There's no other king like him that can defend, defeat both sin and death. The apostle Peter says this in Acts chapter 2, whenever he is going and preaching the message that they would kill him for, he says this to the people in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified... You Jews, you killed Jesus by the hands of lawless men, so you killed Jesus, and you used the Romans to do it. That's what Peter is saying. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Why? Because it was not possible. It was not possible for him to be held by it. Why was it not possible? Because he is the king who has defeated sin and death. He is the one that took your thorns and destroyed them on the cross. It says in Revelation 19, verse 16, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And this Easter, God has made a deal with you. And this is the deal. He asked you one question. Just one question. This is all he wants you to answer. Where is the body of Jesus? Where is it? What's so amazing to me is all of this, this 2,000-year-old faith in religion, the all of Western society, we tell time based on this, okay? Entire cities, right? Hospitals, schools, all find their foundation in all of this, okay? The kingdom of God rests on a body, the body of one man. And if you find the body, then it's all a lie, and Jesus deserved everything that he had coming to him. But if his body truly isn't there, then where is it? What happened to it? Because we know the Jews, wanted to make, they wanted to make sure it was there. They paid a guard, they put a stone, they did everything they could to make sure the body stayed there, but it wasn't there. It was risen. And if he is risen, if he is risen, then he's a king. He's the king of all creation. And he's not just the king, but he's your king. He's your Lord. He's the king that has come and defeated your sin. 
He's the king that has come and suffered your death in your place on your cross. He's the king with the crown of thorns, exalted not in spite of suffering, but through suffering. He shows himself to be the king. And he has proved it by rising from the dead. Romans 1 says that he was declared to be the Son of God by his resurrection. Now, you you guys all know this. This isn't new, right? You've heard this story a billion times. What does it mean for you? Really, what does it mean? We see the thorns, we see the sin, we see the death, the bad news. But then we see the crown. We see the king who defeated death, sin and death, who flipped the tables. God used the sin of man to defeat sin in man. God used the death of one man to defeat death for all men. What does that mean for you? Well, this is what it means if you truly believe that. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth... There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Jesus got a crown. Looks like we can have a crown too. A crown of righteousness. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day that Jesus will give me this crown. And not me only, but who? But to all who have loved his appearing. You too get a crown, a crown of righteousness, a crown of right standing with God, that this broken relationship that goes way back to the Garden of Eden between you and God can be made right, but who gets the crown? The one who loves the appearing of Jesus. Another way of saying all those who have repented of their sins, turn from their past, turn from all these mistakes, turn from all these issues, all of these thorns in the past, that are not strong enough for the grip of God and turn to Jesus who takes all of that away. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord for those who believe. And so for you, it is my prayer that you will not let the message of Easter slip away. It is not reason to bake a ham and eat chocolate. It is an urgent message of hope and salvation, a plea for you to turn from your sins, to place your faith in the risen Lord and gain the crown of righteousness that Jesus has secured for you, that he wants to award to you, that you can't make it into heaven by your good works, that you can't be good enough, you can't live your life according to your own rules because you don't make the rules. God makes the rules. That you are never going to be good enough, live well enough, be righteous enough, too many thorns in your garden, but you don't need to deal with those because it's already been dealt with. Those thorns have been placed on another. They've been done away, and he offers you paradise. Repent and believe. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to come, and I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this message, this gospel message, this good news message. But it's only good news if we really believe that the default is bad news. It's only good news if we really get an understanding of who we are and where we stand with you, if we 
really take a peek in that tomb and realize that that would have been me in there, except I wouldn't have been coming out. But then we realize that Jesus did come out. And so it's not me that's going to be in there. He's already done that. He's taken care of that. That's good news. Lord, I want to pray for everyone here, those online, everyone in our community, everyone that, that we know, everyone in this world, Lord, that we would get a good look at Easter, that we would get a good look at the resurrection, that we would get a good look at the crown of thorns and understand the words coming to us. Because we got all of these things, all these other voices coming in, trying to distract us, trying to turn us, Lord, trying to weigh us down, trying to hold us back. And you come in your Son and deal with all that. Cut it at the root. Free us from that. Provided that we repent and believe. Repent and believe. Lord, I just want to lift up everyone here that they would repent and believe. Whatever their hiccups are, whatever their hangups are, Lord, you got an answer. Whether it's this thing or that thing, whether it's a whether it's a more of an academic hangup or personal hangup or an emotional hangup or a relational hangup, Lord, you have an answer for every single hangup. And you show us the empty tomb. We celebrate that today. We know that that's our story, that all, Lord who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his resurrection. That just as Jesus died and rose, so we will die and rise again in newness of life, not under the name of Aaron or Hannah or Scott, but under the name of Christ. That is our hope. That we've been crucified in the flesh. We now live for Jesus. Lord, come and make that so even more. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the power of the resurrection. We thank you for what that means for us. And we lift up all these things in that name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning at Fort Hill Community Church in Gorham, Maine. For more information about Pastor Aaron or Fort Hill Community Church, visit us on Facebook or check out our website at www.forthillchurch.com.